Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Nancy Alvarez. She is at the University of Arizona, where she is Associate Dean of Academic and Professional Affairs, and she's also the Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Alvarez. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's my honor because, you know, we're really kind of doing this episode to highlight something that they're pushing to get the pharmacist's fundamental rights and responsibilities through. And that's why I invited you on the podcast. It's a collaborative like, agreement around this. Can you kind of explain what started this and who's backing it and kind of the, the generalities of it? Yes. So, you know, as you know, the issues around workplace and, and pharmacy personnel, uh, technical and professional, so pharmacists and technicians, you know, that it's, it's in the crosshairs. It's big. And, it, and well-being of these personnel continues to be critical and, and a complex issue for the profession and certainly has an impact on, on patient safety. And so APHA has a steering committee, a well-being a steering committee, and this committee reviewed the work that came out of the enhancing well-being and resilience among pharmacists workforce. So this was work of, of a consensus conference from a couple of years ago. And in their review, they noted that there were a number of recommendations that were directed at state boards of pharmacy and speaking towards the need to suggest changes to regulations and to laws. And so this well-being group believed that the best way to address these recommendations was to collaborate with state pharmacy associations. And so this fall, APHA reached out to the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations, or NASPA, to collaborate. And so from that, a work group was appointed. So that's where it includes me and uh, another representative from APHA and uh, two people from, uh, from NASPA. And we began to work with support of APHA and NASPA staff. And so what you see, and we, we only started to work in October of 2020 and uh, created a number of, of recommendations that we forwarded to the respective boards at APHA and NASPA uh, for, their, for their review. And so we only started in October and completed our initial work in uh, January of 2021. Yeah, and I think it's so, huge because yeah. like this type of collaboration isn't something you see all the time. And a lot of people always complain about pharmacy orgs not working together. And this is taking all the state boards and the national representation for pharmacists basically as an organization and just saying, look, we need to work together and smashing it together so that we can get some good ideas out of this and kind of you know help get it to the states where it needs to be, correct? You know, what I would say is that, that there are a lot of, of things that happen in a collaborative way at the, you know, certainly at the, at the national level and between the, the organizations. Much of the work doesn't have a lot of high visibility to, to pharmacists or pharmacy technicians in a day-to-day sense. Uh, this here does have a lot of um, visibility. And, um, and as far as all of the groups working together, you know, the single at least in my career, the, the item that comes to my mind is really seeking recognition within the Social Security Act, where you really do see collaboration across 
many, many organizations, pharmacy and others. Uh, so I think this one is, you know, a, a high vis highly visible um, item and it really has been a pleasure uh, because, as you say, bringing together the state associations, bringing together um, APHA to to lead this issue, you know, is important work. Yeah. And so kind of what were some of the, the goals, if you will, or what are the things that you guys have done? Because you guys are holding a town hall meeting on April 6th and 7th. So people can find that. I'll put that in the show notes as well. But kind of like what were some of the goals and why were you holding the town halls exactly? Yeah. So one of the first items that are that comes from this work group is this pharmacist's fundamental responsibilities and rights. So it's the first release from the collaboration. And the goal really is to, uh, of this particular work, is we've assembled a statement of principle that are focused on pharmacist responsibilities and workplace expectations. And the work group developed these, uh, this, this statement of principles, these fundamentals, uh, to publicly state a pharmacist's professional responsibilities, those that are outlined in the oath of a pharmacist and the pharmacist code of ethics, and within state scope of, of pharmacy practice and the essential rights to which pharmacy, pharmacists are entitled, so that their responsibilities can be fulfilled. So it's how is the, the pharmacist responsible to the public and to advancing patient care? And what is it that is needed in order to uh, facilitate the fulfillment of those responsibilities? And so the work group believes that the fundamentals address in a very highly visible way uh, that the, what, what national and state pharmacy organizations have heard are the issues that are being experienced um, in, in pharmacies across the country. And so the, the idea or the thought is that these fundamentals can serve as a guide for individuals working in pharmacies, employers, patients, health professionals, especially those individuals who are responsible for establishing federal and state laws, regulations, guidances, et cetera, um, that govern pharmacy practice and healthcare. But I would, I would then take a pause and step back and say that when the work group considered this body of work, they didn't do so with only one practice setting in mind. We really looked at it more holistically to say that, you know, pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians and student pharmacists across the spectrum of practice have expressed concerns with workplace issues, with burnout, and with well-being. And so how do we think about this in a very broad way so that we are not excluding any important groups of colleagues that are out there trying to deliver good patient care? Yeah, and we've seen a lot of national headlines recently in regards to retail. Um, we haven't seen those really with regards to hospital, but I think to your point, you don't want to, especially in a hospital. So you really wanted to make sure that you had your bases covered. And I like the way that it's done. Not only is it just collaborative with the, the two organizations, but it's also like a duality of, hey, here's the, what we expect for responsibilities that we will hold someone accountable for as a profession if they're not meeting. But here's the rights they have so that they can meet those responsibilities. And that kind of leads into what a lot of these stories are. A lot of these stories that we see coming out are, 
you know, I'm for lack of a better term, being abused, overworked, burned out, forced to do all these things at once that really don't relate to what my actual responsibilities are. And, you know, therefore it's almost like the rights are being violated. So you can't meet the responsibilities. Is that kind of the logic the why you put them out together like that? Well, I think it's the, you know, if my goal is patient-centered care, if my goal is to ensure that that patients are have are experiencing the most that they can from their their medications, if if the goal is optimal use of medications, then what is required in order to facilitate that? And what is my role as a pharmacist to ensuring that that indeed occurs? recognizing that, you know, that there are very complex issues and that, you know, that, that it isn't easy and that what might be challenging for you in one setting is not challenging for you in another setting, you know, and recognizing that, that it is something that, you know, if we keep the patient at the, you know, at the core of everything we do, which we, as we do as a profession, then how is it and what is it that is needed in order to be able to get there? Uh, that was the thinking around it, okay. uh, you know, and really, and really recognizing that you can't do one without the other. Yeah. You can try. <laughs> and will you be successful? Likely not. You know, so you can be the best pharmacist you can be and you can, you know, talk to every patient that comes comes along and you can give good care and be a good manager to your personnel, et cetera. But if you're going home and crying your eyes out or, you know, turning to other means of relief, is that successful? No. So we need to think about things more holistically. What is it that we want to do? We want good patient care. And how is it that we can accomplish it? What do we need in our environment to allow us to do what we uh, what we're obligated to do by our oath, by our state regulations, et cetera? So we, we try to think about it in that way. Yeah. And, you know, kind of adding to that one thing Michael Hogue said previously on a live discussion we had with um, Dr. Sandra Leal, he had said that you know, a lot of times or not a lot of times, but several times precedent that was put forth by either APHA or an organization like this has been used in, in in like legal cases, basically of saying like, Hey, these needed to be met and this wasn't met, whether it was for punitive or for the pharmacist side, whatever side it was on. I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have privy details of the case, but that was kind of what was used. And so I thought that was interesting because when you see multiple organizations like this moving with something, it's really setting a high precedent of this is what needs to be met to, so we can take care of people, just kind of what you're talking about here. And we're not going home and, basically sacrificing ourselves for the betterment of the world or the patients to the point where it's absolutely detrimental to our own health as well. So I think that's huge. And honestly, something I, I have to personally say thank you for working on because that's something that so many pharmacists, especially the ones who are working in community setting, really need right now to feel like they're being heard. So thank you for doing that. Well, you're welcome. And I have to say the work has been deeply meaningful. I have been a community based pharmacy practice person, a pharmacist working um, in community practice at, you know, at a point in my career and recognizing that, you know, and trying to think about, you know, my own experiences and, and really allowing those to drive for the motivation to get the work done. I think the consensus conference that was held a few years ago was incredibly important, but like with many things, you know, like for instance, a strategic plan, it's not good if it sits on the shelf. And so 
you know, taking a look a couple years later at what is still, what still needs to be addressed. It was very attractive to me to say, do you want to be a part of this? Yes, because I was part of that consensus conference. And I did in the back of my mind wonder, you know, what we would be doing with all of these recommendations, uh, you know, the ones that address an individual that seems kind of easy, the ones that, you know, are, are pointed towards the employer, well, they have a role too. But what about these other these other things, these uh, this other area that that the that the well-being and resilience group, the steering committee, the well-being steering committee, you know, recognizing the fact that there are several recommendations that were directed towards boards of pharmacy that hadn't yet been addressed. You know, what is it that we can do within those? And you know, and those covered a whole host of topics okay, well, what can we do? And so this is this is a first effort. Yeah, and I think it's huge just because, like you said, it's just so all-encompassing. I'm, I'm glad that you find it rewarding because I feel like so many of us are going to find the results rewarding of it. So thank you again for doing that. And kind of digging a little more in the weeds on this, and we talked okay. about this a little bit leading up to the podcast episode, mentioned it several times already. We've seen some national headlines, whether it be the New York Times, Ellen Gabler kind of bomb that she dropped in early 2020, right before COVID hit, which was, as we all know, is putting a lot more stress on pharmacists. Um, and we also even saw recently an NBC Nightly News article with the Jaraminsky story about issues that people at some of the larger chains are facing and how they're being treated with metrics or kind of, for lack of a better term, some of the Wall Street demands, if you will, being put on these companies to always try and make the quarterly profit. How do you see something like this initiative that you're working on and when it comes out with everything actually improving the work conditions for people who are on the front lines? Like, Is there anything that you're seeing definitively that you think will really kind of, I don't want to say, push, the, push the, the big corporations, if you will, to the limit, but something that will kind of make them take a step back and say, hey, look, we need to change our practice a little bit because of these standards that are now set. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, my feeling is that, you know, we, we don't yet know what the actual outcome will be. What our work group believes um, is that these fundamentals can be used as a vehicle to facilitate meaningful dialogue and to help capture the conversation as we've previously mentioned. Pharmacists have responsibilities. They have an oath by which they are, that they, they hold and held to account. And in order to fulfill those responsibilities, there is a need to create environments that facilitate that. So it really is around facilitating meaningful dialogue uh, and with the goal of enhancing workplace and patient safety. Okay. And, you know, that, so that's the goal of the fundamentals. And, uh, and then there's another project that we'll launch this week, and that is a state-based national pharmacy workplace survey. And so the goal of the survey is to provide national and state-based aggregate data on pharmacist workplace issues across all settings. We also recognize that there are pharmacists that are fearful to speak up because of employer retribution. And certainly we hope that this anonymous survey will give a voice to those pharmacists. And so more details are soon to come and we'll keep you informed of, of you know, when that launches. 
So APHA and NASPA are having town hall meetings April 6th and April 7th. People can find that online. I'm going to include a link in the show notes here, and I'll probably post it again when it does go live to uh, some of my social media accounts and things like that for listeners to find. How can pharmacists get involved and help promote this, not just the town hall, but kind of what's being done? And how can they get involved to help if they want to? Yeah, so most immediately, uh, I would encourage everyone listening to encourage their colleagues to tune into the town hall. Now, registration is required, and that information is, as you described, will be available on the APHA website to be able to, to sign in. And it's free. And, it's free. And it is. It's free. There's no charge. And uh, individuals do not need to be members of the association. So you don't have to be a member of your state association. You don't have to be a member of APHA to participate or to contribute. And the work group is holding these town halls to receive feedback from the very pharmacists that you described earlier, those that are in pharmacies working day in and day out to fulfill their responsibilities. We want to hear from those individuals and what they think about the responsibilities and rights document and how they see it being used and useful in the way in which they're working, how they see it working with their employers, how they see it working to educate consumers about what they can expect from care received from a pharmacist, et cetera. So that's the most immediate way people can be involved. Now, if people aren't able to be a participant during in the town hall, then they're welcome to submit written comments, and those can be received as well. And that information is, is available uh, on the website. Let me see if I can't locate it very quickly. Yes. So written comments can be submitted to wellbeing at and wellbeing with no hyphen, wellbeing at aphanet.org. It's important to note that information will be de-identified. So comments that are received uh, in a written format will be forwarded to the work group for review without, without identities revealed. So what we will do then is we will take that information from the, from the town hall and any written comments to make further revisions to the fundamental document. And then that document is expected to be released in early July. Awesome. Yeah. And I, th- I know from the work with APHA that Scott Knorr is going to make sure, because it's a huge worry for everybody that that will not be de-identified. He's going to make sure that that is de-identified. So I want everyone to really understand that that is something APHA and NASPA take seriously. And I apologize for my dog barking in the background for listeners, but someone just knocked at my door. So I do have to wrap this up with uh, Dr. Alvarez here. But Dr. Alvarez, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for coming on the podcast. and help. Thanks for help speaking up for those of us who are on the front lines in the middle of a pandemic with everything else going on. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.